study. Good to see you tonight. Glad you're here. Just going to take a few moments and pray. Ask God's blessing on our time. And then we'll get going with the Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you that he is here to teach us. He's here to lead us and guide us into all truth. Uh, He's here to encourage us. He's here to comfort us. Uh, He's here, God, uh, to empower us. And so we just pray that you would do that that as we've gathered in the name of Jesus, that you would empower us to hear you, to receive of you, and to respond to you tonight. We give you thanks for your presence. We give you thanks for this opportunity to hear from you, this opportunity to read from your word, this opportunity to have you teach us. Ask God that we'd have ears to hear, we'd have open minds, open hearts, ready to receive what you want to say and what you want to do in our lives tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S P E A K P I P E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Romans, book of Romans, chapter 8. If you need a Bible to locate on the tables, feel free to use one. Romans chapter 8. And I need a volunteer to read verses 24 and 25. Romans 8, 24 and 25. Why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we urge eagerly to wait for it with perseverance. All right. That's one of those passages in Romans. Like, I think all of Romans is kind of written this way. It's almost like it's a riddle. Uh, and, and I have, just over the years studying this book, studying this epistle, it, it just seems like every time I kind of stop concentrating on every word, it just sounds like a riddle. And so if no one else feels that way, that's okay, but I do. And so that passage, right, there's a perfect example of that. It's like, if this and that, then not, then this and that. What does that mean? And so hopefully we'll look at that and see what, uh, maybe God will say something through that. But starts talking about, and the main theme of the passage is hope. And it's the idea of hope in the sense that we don't always use it. Uh, hope in its just kind of base nature is an earnest desire or an expectation and or an ex- expectation of obtaining an object. It's an expectation of something. It's an earnest desire for something. And so that's what he's talking about here. It's a compound word not in pronunciation but in meaning. That it can mean different things in different times, different circumstances. And so you have to keep that in mind as we're looking for some kind of a an, expect, uh, an explanation of what this passage says. It's talking about waiting for adoption. And if you read above it a little bit, you can see that. And there's an idea that uh, we're somehow waiting for a final adoption. And, and that was what he was talking about. And it seemed like there was this kind of tiered idea of what we experience and what we understand and what we have going on in our lives when it comes to salvation. Because that's what that adoption is all about. 
The adoption is all about us being children, us being sons, daughters of God. And, and the idea behind that is that God just accepts us into his family. And, and Paul had to reconcile a couple different things uh, when he was writing to the Romans. He had to reconcile, uh, first of all, the people that God had chosen way back in the Old Testament through Abraham and who he had chosen as his people, and that would be the children of Israel. And then the, the reconciliation of that with the Gentiles that he's now chosen for this time, this place, and this day. And so he needed to reconcile somehow, okay, well, how is this going to work? What's that going to look like? How do I explain this to both the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers? How do I somehow reconcile these two things? It, it wasn't so much for the Gentile believers because they were just coming into something new. As for the Jewish believers who had been brought up their whole lives to believe that Gentiles were subhuman, in a sense. They were dogs. They were unworthy. That They were not part of God's plan. They're not part of what God was doing. They're not part of what uh, He had for the universe, what He had for the world. And so they were left out. And so these, the people were taught their whole lives, say, well, we're the chosen people, and they're not the chosen people. We're the people that God is planning all of history and all of creation around, and they're just the dogs. They're like of no importance. And so there had to be some kind of a reconciliation in the minds of the believers, in the minds of the Jewish believers at the time, of, well, okay, well, what's God doing here, and how is he doing this? Because we've been taught our whole lives something completely different something completely contrary to what they were looking at now. And that was that they were on equal ground. That as they're coming to know Jesus, and the Gentiles are coming to know Jesus, they're all just coming to know Jesus and they're all the same. And so there had to be some kind of a reconciliation of that. There had to be some kind of explanation. There had to be some kind of way of seeing that. And he had to be able to be able to express that to the church as a whole so that the church as a whole could come together and people could be accepting of one another. I don't know that we really understand the division that they were facing. I know we have our issues. I know we have our divisions within our culture, but I don't know that we have a division like that, that we could really fully understand what that would look like as you had this group here it was completely rejected by this group here. I mean, if you read through Acts, you see Peter, that you have the house of Cornelius, and this was one of the big turning points in the church, was that God called Peter to go to the house of Cornelius, who was a Gentile. And of course, Peter, uh, being who Peter was, very outspoken, is like, no, Lord, I can't do this, I can't do that. Well, God had to speak to him through a vision to prepare him, telling him there's men coming here, they're going to take you to this place, go with them. He went with them, and as soon as he got to their house, I always find it interesting, he starts to address the people at the house, and they're just happy to see him. Cornelius came up to him and bowed down before him. He was just showing that much respect, that much reverence for who Peter was. Peter's like, stand up, I'm just a guy like you. Okay. So Peter stands up at the house of Cornelius, and the first thing he has to say is like, well, you know it's not really right for me to be here right now. If you've ever read that passage, that's how he starts off. That's a way to really win over your audience. I shouldn't really be here right now. I shouldn't really be hanging out with you people. It's against our law and traditions for me to do this. In other words, you're not on the same level as me. You're not worthy of my presence. But I'm here... Because I'm constrained to be here by the Holy Spirit. And that's basically what he was telling them. Is that he had been constrained by the Holy Spirit to show up that day and to be there. And he was by just obedience there. Not of his own volition. Not because he wanted to be there. But out of obedience he was there. The Bible says he began to speak. He began to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell on them as it did on the apostles on the day of Pentecost. And they all began to, and it was just the same kind of a, of, of a physical manifestation that took place there. And he's like, all right, so then we're going to have you baptized. And that was the big crossover. That was the big addition of the Gentiles to 
the church. But even from the start, did you hear what I'm saying though? That was what I would consider to be rude. I'm not there. But it was perfectly acceptable from within their perspective. Perfectly acceptable. Expected. It was expected. And so these people, all these groups, especially these two main groups, they had to be brought together somehow. And so as you read through this, in, in this passage in Romans, you've got a church that's being brought together. That's what's happening. And, and Paul isn't, he, he has to do this through an epistle. And so he lays down in this epistle some, some really, what I believe to be some, some kind of deep theology when it comes to the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see our relationship with God, and the way that we see our relationship with each other. I think it's pretty deep. Uh, I, I think it's pretty something that you really have to look into, but not just once, but maybe dig into a little bit in order to begin to understand that. And so he uses the uh, he uses the picture of adoption that we have this natural born family that would be the Jewish Christians, and then we have the Gentile Christians that aren't the natural born, but God is doing a work of adoption in them. And that's how he's explaining it. If you wonder where that all comes from and that whole idea, it comes from the explanation of this is how we're supposed to all get together. This is how we're supposed to all form a big family. This is how we're supposed to all accept one another. This is how we're supposed to all get and and understand and live and share life together. This is how it's going to work. And so the, the picture that was drawn is you have this natural born family and then you have these others that God has adopted and brought into the family. And through every means and through every understanding of it, that they were just as much, and they're going to be just as much part of that family as the natural born kids were a part of that family. And so it was going to be one. And so he begins to speak about the idea of hope. And hope is central to who we are as believers. Hope. And if you look through the history of the church, that's one of the, the, the key ingredients, one of the key components of what makes the church the church is that we're called to be a people of hope. That no matter what part of history that you look at, you look at dark times, you look at great times, you look at hard times, you look at easy times, you look at times of death and sickness, you look at times of life and progress, whatever. Go back through history and you look. The church consistently is expected to be and is empowered to be a bastion of hope. That that there's something better that's coming, always. And like I said, it doesn't matter if it's good times or bad times, there's something better that's still coming. And so the, the church is called to live in a place of hope. The church is called to live in a place of, of really looking forward, of, of seeing something better, and of always seeing something better. And part of that is the idea that we're not really called to any kind of stagnation, ever. That there's no place of stagnation for us, but only moving forward towards something better. Only moving into that something that God has prepared. Only moving into something that God has said is going to be a better place for us. And so as we move from spot to spot and we move from place to place, the idea behind that is always progress. Is always moving toward a new place and moving toward a place that we look toward as hope. Here we go. But what's going on today? Whatever it is, but there's something better. And there's going to be something better. They're not satisfied with just staying in this spot. And I don't know how to communicate that any better except for that we're never called to this. There's not this place uh, uh, of homeostasis for Christians where we just sit in our puddle and that's where we're going to be. That, that's not what God's called us to. Now, I know some of us like that. We like that idea of just settling in and that's it. But that's not really how we were called and that's not really what we were called to and it's not what God's empowered us toward. And that's not the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Living beings, organisms, are either going to grow 
and they're going to change and adapt or they're going to die. And if we really take seriously that that we're not only an organism, we're not only a living being as a person, as an individual, but as we come together as a church, the Bible describes us as a living body. And that living body, is, as an organism, is going to have to progress. It's going to have to grow. It's going to have to adapt. It's going to have to change. It's going to have to move in the direction that God has for it to move, or it just dies. And there's plenty of empty church buildings that show that. You don't really have to do an in-depth study to understand that. But when churches decide, okay, well, this is, this is what we are. We're going to be this. Well, if there's no change, if there's no adaptation, if there's no moving forward, if there's no anything that's going to happen except for we're just going to maintain the status quo, that church will, in fact, for sure die. Because that's what happens. Because that's what happens to any organism that just stops. And so if that's true for us together, that's true for us as individuals, the idea is that we have something to move forward into. And part of the, the work that God does in us, part of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, part of the work of, of what God is changing and moving in inside of us is a work of hope. See, that the first fruits of what God is doing and, and the deposit of what God is doing is the Holy Spirit in us. The idea is that I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you and you're going to be empowered through the Holy Spirit. You're going to have experience with the spiritual realm through the Holy Spirit. You're going to communicate with me through the Holy Spirit. I mean, these are things that God gives us. Well, that's the deposit in us. The idea that we have this communication, we have this connection, we have this, this moving, we have this living word in us, and it gives us a hope that this is where we're heading. Not just this far, but further. Not just this deep with God, but deeper. Not just this connection with God that this supplies, that the Holy Spirit supplies, but something more that He's going to do. Even greater intimacy, even a greater and deeper relationship with Him. There's a hope. And that's the hope that has been planted in every one of us. But we just have to exercise that hope. He uses a phrase here where he, he brings together the idea of hope and salvation. And I know when we think of salvation, we always think of, we usually think of faith. That faith is that, that catalyst. Faith is, is how uh, salvation comes to pass in our lives. And it usually is. It's usually faith that is mentioned as the instrument of salvation. But hope in the future is the essence of our life. And so in a real sense, that hope in the future and that hope in the idea of where God is taking us and what God has for us and, and, and the, the deeper places and and the places more intimate with Him that God is taking us. It's that idea of hope that lives in us, that in a, in a very real and powerful sense is the essence of what our life is and what our salvation is. Because there's always more. There's always more. I know we like to look at a moment. Sometimes people will ask me, they'll be like, what is your spiritual birthday? Do you know what they mean by that? Yeah, it's the day you got saved, right? And so what they're looking for is some moment that you can point to where that was the day. That was the moment. And yet, I, I'd be hard-pressed to figure that out. I know there was a moment when I first prayed and asked Jesus into my life, and I could say it was that, but man, there were so many other things that happened after that. For me to just point to that and say, that was it. That was that. But then there was some more it's that took place after that. There were some more moments that took place after that. There was some more work of the Holy Spirit that took place after that. There was some more challenge that took place in my life after that. There was some more growth in faith that took place after that. And it's really kind of hard for me to look at that and say, all right, well, 
That's my spiritual... I don't even know what day it is. I have no idea. It wouldn't matter anyway. I don't know what it is. I just know generally the time of year. That's all I know. But the idea behind that is that, well, there's this once and for all one-time event that I just don't know that I really fully buy into. And I don't know if most people or a lot of people really fully buy into that either. See, they like the finality of it. It's like, okay, that's it. Boom, I'm good. I'm good. Well, you're good not because of a moment in time. You're good because of your relationship with Jesus. It has nothing to do with the, it. not really that moment in time. I mean, you can say, well, that was the day we met. Right. How many people do you meet? Right? On a weekly, monthly, yearly basis, how many people do you meet? How many of those people are you best friends with? All right, so you can look at that, that's the day we met, right? But, but there has to be a little something more like, I got with Jesus today and we spent a little time because we were talking about some things and I'm growing in my relationship with Him today. And that's how we grow in relationship with one another. We spend time with one another. And so I'm good with Jesus because I'm good with Jesus. I have a relationship with Him and I spend time with Him. I'm not pretending that I'm going to call on some event in 1983, maybe, in that moment, and I'm just going to call on that moment and say, well, that makes me good. Well, if that was the only moment in my life with Jesus was 1983, we're not good. That was a long time ago. That was before many of, many of you were even born. Some of you were, but not some of you. And so I wouldn't be good with Jesus if that was it. I can only be good with Jesus as I live my life out and as I share life with Him and as I live out my salvation with Him. And if that seems really weird to some of you or scary, I can't help that. That's how we relate to one another. That's how we know one another. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Invest. Don't be scared. Spend the time. Don't be scared. Just take the time to talk. And I hope you can kind of understand what I'm talking about here. Because it's, it's that, that part of us that looks ahead. It's that part of us that lives in hope. It's that part of us that knows there's something more. It's that part of us that knows there's something better. It's that part of us that, that wants to get to there and, and wants to grow and, and wants to, to, to live life and, and live our lives to get there. That's that part of us. That's that hope. And so when Paul talks about and he marries these ideas of hope and he marries it with salvation, it's the whole idea that, that there's more. That we haven't achieved everything there is to achieve. We haven't gotten a hold of everything there is to get a hold of. We don't know everything that we can know about Jesus. We don't have as deep a relationship as we can have with Jesus today. There's more. And there's going to be more. And so because there's more, let's keep moving and let's keep going. Let's not just stop in our tracks because we did one thing. Or we didn't do another thing or whatever the case may be. Let's not stop in our tracks. Let's continue on. And the journey, because hope tells us there's something we haven't seen yet. There's something we haven't experienced yet. There's something we haven't actually interacted with yet. So we look at 1 Corinthians 13.13. You know this verse, but I just wanted to read it. 1 Corinthians 13.13. All right. <laughs> so, as you read that, just the way it was just read, you got three things that are mentioned there. They're important, right? Faith, hope, love. Those three things. We put a premium on faith. As evangelical Christians, we've been taught to put a premium on faith. 
You were taught that, whether you realize it or not. You were taught to put a premium on faith. Because you're saved by faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. And I can quote off all the scriptures that say faith. Faith, faith, and faith. Faith, faith, salvation, faith, faith, faith. But according to this passage, you got three big things here to think about. You have faith. Okay, we'll establish that's important. You got hope, which is being established as important as we're going to live our life. And then you have love. Now listen up. What's the greatest of those? Love. Love. So let's put a premium on love. Because whether you want to see it or not, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's not skip the love part. Because if there wasn't the love part, there'd be no belief part. If you get it. So the love part is really the part that is the essence, is the central part of our relationship with God. Is the love part. The love part is the central part of our relationship with each other. The love part is, our, is central to our salvation. That's the love part. Because if there wasn't the love part, none of the rest of it would matter. You know, that whole idea, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, yeah. Because he loves you. See, when you were still a sinner, according to that scripture, you didn't have any faith toward him. Right? There ain't no faith toward him then. You're just going about doing whatever you want to do. That's what it is to be a sinner. You're going about your business, you do what you want to do, not thinking about God probably, not thinking about much anything to do with faith or anything less that. You're just going about your business. While you were going about your business, Christ died for you. He loved you so much while you were going about your business that He died for you. He did everything necessary for you to be saved before you had one inkling of faith. He just loved you. And, and I hope that someday, somehow, you'll just be able to receive that. And if you're sitting there saying, oh, I get it, Andy, I, I receive it, then good for you. But there's a lot of you that can't receive that or won't. That you're going to strive so that God will love you when He loved you before you even knew Him. You're going to strive and you're going to be perfect and you're going to do everything He wants you to do and you're going to just go about it and, and, and get all about it because that's how you're going to earn His love. Well, you don't need to earn His love. He loved you way before you ever even knew to strive or do anything else where you even cared He was loving you. His love isn't based on your performance. It's just not. The means of your salvation is not based on your performance. I know you want it to be. That way you can control it. But it's not. It's not. And I don't know how to express that any more clearly that that love, which is key and central to all of this, central to everything that we, we know in our salvation, our understanding, our relationship with God, is that love isn't based on you. It's based on Him. It's his will, his desire, and what he wants to do. So you got that. So let's establish love as the greatest. Well, hope is in there. And this is the part of it that I think that I really want to look at tonight is this idea of hope and the role that plays in our life with Christ. The role that plays in our salvation with Christ. Because it's hope that drives us. It's hope that moves us. It's hope that keeps us going. It's hope that we're after something we haven't seen yet. We don't know what it is, but we're after it because it's better. Why? Because God said so. He puts a hope in us 
As I said, through the deposit of the Holy Spirit in us, because we experience something better, we see something better, but we know it's only in part. There's more. And because we know it's only in part, there's more that we're going to go after, there's more that we're going to be after, more that we're going to look for. We have hope. Hope keeps us alive because it keeps us moving. I mean, I've preached many sermons and teachings on faith. Big believer in faith, big believer in obedience. I think those two are key parts of what it is to be a Christian. But if you ain't got hope, you're not going anywhere. Just not. We need we need to allow that work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We need to, something to look forward to. Something that we haven't seen yet. Somebody look at Colossians one twenty-seven. All right, so that that passage is interesting. It's like, well, Christ in you. Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. Is Jesus in you? The passages that, when the Bible talks about glory, uh, the Bible, you know, we, we, want, we want to see your glory, God. Well, His glory is wrapped up in Him. And so the idea of Christ in us, the idea of Christ indwelling us, Christ abiding in us, abiding with us, that whole idea is is a discussion of glory. Because it speaks to who we are and who we're going to be. Because we don't see that yet. You can't see who you're going to be yet. And the way you know that is if you look at who you were maybe 10 years ago, you probably didn't see yourself where you are now. You may have, but probably not. That... I mean, I was sitting in this church 10 years ago, but I didn't see myself still sitting in this church 10 years later. I'd guarantee you that. So I'm not where I thought I was going to be right now. And I'm not the same person that I was 10 years ago. I'm not the same person I was 20 years ago either. And I couldn't necessarily see who I was going to be, but I just knew it was going to be better. I knew it. Because I'm not going to live in, in that, that, that mindset that the devil gives us that all is lost and it's going to be terrible. I'm not going to live like that. I mean, Satan would want me to live like that, but I don't want to live like that. Because I serve a God that, that is moving. I serve a God that is ever, ever, ever changing me. I serve a God that is able to affect situations and times and, and circumstances. I serve a God that has a future and has a plan. That's who I serve. That's who I know. And so I'm going to live with a hope because of that. If today isn't what I want it to be, I know tomorrow can be better. I know the next day can be better. I know the next day can be better. There have been days that have been real real dark over the years. I mean, you think about it, you know, when as your family, and I know it's going to get a little dark here, but uh, you think about it as your family dies off. Some of you aren't there yet, hopefully. <laughs> Some of you are way past that. But I can remember times in, in situations where I remember the day my dad died. That was hard, man. And and I found it like it's hard. It's just hard. And some of you were around when my mother died. We were at a baseball game. Or or some of you were around and, and over the years it's like everybody that was older than me just died. And and every time that would happen, I think you kind of face with your own mortality. It's like, yeah, yeah. There's dark days. Yeah, the day I became the oldest living male in my family, even extended family. I thought, man, you're that guy I used to think was really old. Yeah, still alive, still alive, baby. But dark days come, dark weeks come, dark months come. But we have a hope. We have a hope of something better. And I don't want to just say that to be like, 
Oh, well, that that's nice of you to say. And that's why I brought that up because, man, I've had to say that in times that are pretty dark. And I'm not just saying that it's kind of a pat answer. I'm not just saying that, as, oh, yeah, well, that's nice. It's not, it's not just nice. It's a fact. And it's how we're going to live out our salvation. We're going to do it in hope. That's what God's called us to. Because I can talk to you about love and we need to live out our salvation in love. That's true. I can talk to you about faith and we need to live out our salvation in faith. But I'm talking to you about hope. And we need to allow hope to spring up in our life. We need to allow hope to be a driving force in our life. If we're going to really live out our salvation the way that God intends us to. And you think about, what are the possibilities if Jesus is in you? What's the possibilities? What's the possibility for the rest of today if Jesus is in you? I mean, there's some pretty good possibilities involved in that. What's the possibility for tomorrow if Jesus is in you? There's big possibilities for tomorrow if Jesus is in me. And I can go down that list and say, but it's that hope, it's that glory that we look forward that manifestation of God that we look forward to is that manifestation of His Spirit that we look forward to is that manifestation of His presence that we look forward to. That things can change and things will change. And things will grow and things will become and things that aren't will be. But that's the God that we serve. And if you don't keep track of those things, you probably don't notice them as much as somebody who does. But I bet you there's people around that they write things down and they keep track of things. It's one of the things that I try to encourage when I'm teaching people in the internship is to write things down. Why? Because that way you don't forget. Because today was dark, but then God moved. Oh, yeah. Let me write that down. God changed something. Let me write that down. God opened up a door that nobody said could be opened up. Let me write that down. God said, and then it happened. Let me write that down. God told me He was my provider and then the next day I got X, Y, and Z. Let me write that down. Because if you wrote those things down and you really began to think about it, those things happen more often than you really even consider it. Because you go one day, you're praying for something, next day you get it, you never even thought about it. I prayed for that yesterday. Unless you wrote it down. And so I want to encourage you that it's It's important that we begin to recognize that God's moving when? Today. Tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. God gave me a word and it came to pass. Write it down. God told me that this was going to happen. It's happening. you got a choice to make when it happens. Do you freak out? Or do you remember, oh, He told me this, so everything's okay. Yeah, right? Everything's alright. He told me this. Write it down. There's all kinds of things that God has said and God has done and God has encouraged us with and God has spoken toward and God has revealed and God is showing toward the future. Write it down. Sometimes people just say things over you. Pray things over you. Have that. Because as you will train yourself to remember, they become more and more and more obvious when God's moving. And you don't miss it. We are so focused on ourselves, we miss it when God moves. I'm glad the Bible writers were at least willing to write it down. Alright? As we turn away from just staring at ourselves, we begin to see God moving more and more. And that feeds the hope. God wants to feed your hope. He does. He, he's raising up a church. We're, we're the fortress of hope. When everybody else is down and out, don't have any hope, we got to be the people with hope. And part of the way that that happens in us is that we see God moving in our lives. And we can look forward to something more. And we can look forward to something better. Why? Because God's alive and He's moving in me. God's alive and He's moving in my family. God's alive and He's moving in my situation. God's alive and He's moving where I work. God's alive and He's moving in my finances. God's alive and He's moving with my neighbors. Whatever it is, He's alive. 
And He's moving. And there's, so there's hope for tomorrow and there's hope for the next day. And there's hope for the future. I mean, we've received the first fruits of the Spirit in us. Man, and that's real. That's life. When you think about the work of the Holy Spirit in you, empowering you, you think about the work of the Holy Spirit in you, it gives you a language to pray in. You think about the work of the Holy Spirit in you, gifts of the Holy Spirit being poured out in and through your life. You're seeing supernatural manifestations through your life. Then you start thinking about you know, all the fruit of the Spirit, some patience and some long-suffering, yeah, some joy. You think about all the work that He's doing in that, all the first fruits of the Spirit through that. Well, we have a taste. A taste of what God's doing and where He's taking us to. That's the taste. There's a whole banquet waiting for us. Have hope. Have hope as you begin to look forward. So I look at 1 Peter 1 3. First Peter 1 3. And then I also need somebody, 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1.3, 1 Peter 1.3. Alright, so what, what's the qualifier of hope in that verse? What kind of hope is it? The living hope. All right, and so that's burst into us through the resurrection of Jesus. What is the resurrection of Jesus? What do you know about it? Was he the only one that's ever going to be resurrected? No, he's the first one. So because he's the first one, what does the resurrection of Jesus signify to us? What? It's going to happen to us. That's correct. And so there's a hope burst in that. The hopeless birth in the resurrection of Jesus is that life is in us. In other words, we're going to be resurrected. That we have a future. We have Death is not going to defeat us. Paul talked about that. He's like, yeah, our last enemy is death. But it's been defeated. And so we have a hope. Well, if our last enemy has been defeated, we have a hope that we're, being, that we're going to overcome. That we're just going to overcome. That the grave isn't going to hold us. That death isn't going to hold us. Death isn't going to hold the people that we love. Death isn't going to hold the people that have gone before us. But we have a hope. And that hope was burst in us through the resurrection. Made solid. Made alive in us through the resurrection. So we always have that hope. And the only reason I brought that up is that I believe that it's significant that that was our last enemy, as Paul declares it. Our last enemy is death. And death has been swallowed up in victory. That's hope. That's hope. So, First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.3 As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, and so part of what Paul is, is writing here and that he continues to write to the churches, is the churches were going through hard times. And so sometimes their hope needed to, what's the word there? Qualifier? Endure. It's enduring, yeah. Sometimes hope needs to endure. Especially if you're going through a particularly hard season. Find yourself in. Find yourself things aren't going your way. And then things aren't going your way. And then things aren't going your way. So you find yourself in that kind of a season in your life. Hope then in those moments needs to endure. And that's just a fact. Because as these churches were going through hard times, they're going through persecutions, they're just going through all kinds of stuff. Well, their hope needed to endure. Because maybe it wasn't being refreshed every day like we want it to be. Like maybe they were just hitting one thing, one thing, one, hitting one wall after another. Well, hope needs to endure in those cases. That's how important it is. You need to preserve your hope. You need to preserve that hope and continue living in that hope. That's part of our job 
as individual Christians living in relationship with one another is to encourage one another in that hope. In other words, I'm going to keep my hope alive. I'm going to help you keep your hope alive. And then we're going to have hope together because that's a part of how we're going to work out our salvation together is in hope. Somebody else read 2 Corinthians 4.17. 2 Corinthians 4.17. For light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. All right. So there's more that's going to outweigh everything. But we have to believe that. We have to set our hope in that. I look at some of these passages. They talk about um, to see things. This passage here specifically that we're looking at tonight, it says you don't have hope in something that you see. And that word see in, in this part of the Scriptures as it's been translated, it sometimes means to enjoy. To enjoy. And what it's saying here is that if you haven't enjoyed it fully yet, that's okay. That's why you have hope. Because it's going to come a day where you enjoy that fully. Like I said, we have first fruits of things, but there's more. We see things in part, but then we'll see in full. We know things in part, but then we're going to know in full. But that's where the hope comes in, that there's more and there's more good. Now, I'm not saying we don't live in joy now. Of course we do. We live in the joy that we have. There's going to be more. We can enjoy the life that God's given us now, but there's going to be more. We can enjoy the things that God's given us and enjoy the opportunities that God lays before us now, but there's going to be more. And so it's always keeping in mind, no matter what it is, good, bad, great, whatever, times that we're in right now, there's always more and there's always better. And always have that hope churning away in us. Because we need a confidence in our weight. Have a confidence. That there's enough scripture, there's enough verses, there's enough looking toward the future in the, in the Bible that says that we should have a confidence in what lies ahead. You can have a confidence in what lies ahead. I can have a confidence in what lies ahead. And we can patiently wait in confidence and allow for that process to produce a long-suffering in us, allow for that process to produce in us a willingness to bear troubles that are surely going to come our way. There's an art to getting good at bearing trouble. It's a real art. Get good at it. And you're looking at me like, what? You can get good at bearing trouble? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I was at least partially brought up. My grandparents uh, were raised in the Depression. If you knew people that were raised in the Depression, there's not too many of them left. But their idea of bad times was a lot different than my idea of bad times. <laughs> and from my perspective, they were really good, really good at bearing trouble. Like, they did not get shaken. They didn't get, seem to get upset at all. They seemed to just put their, put their head down and just go through it. Storm's coming, boom, we're going to walk through that. Hard times are coming, boom, we're going to get through that. Because they had seen harder. They had known harder. They had lived through harder. And their perspective allowed them to be full of grace, full of faith, and full of hope when trouble came. There's a real art to that. To be in a people of hope, even in bad times. But I believe that's what God's called us to Others always called the church too. And it's through these things that happen in our daily lives that we're taught and that we're trained so that in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead, we begin to bear things with a lot more grace and a lot more love and a lot more hope than we did yesterday. It's part of the process.
So last thing I want to, I had a question at the end of this. And the question I had as I got through with this riddle of a verse was this. So what's missing? Because what this is talking about is like, well, we got this, uh, we got this hope for this future. So what's missing right now? And the whole idea is, and the Bible describes it, it says that the whole creation groans for what's coming. That there's something so good that's coming, something so good that's on its way, that creation itself, all of creation groans waiting for that thing to happen, whatever that thing is. And so as we join in that hope, we're joining in with all of creation. What do I mean by creation? I mean everything you see. I mean mountains and rocks and hills and skies and clouds and animals or whatever you want to look at. That's creation. And all of creation groans toward that which is going to be better. And so as we enter into the hope for that which will be, we enter into that hope with creation. It's just how God's made it. And so uh, we're safe now. You know, you think about salvation, that word salvation uh, in and of itself has a very simple meaning of, of safety. And so we're safe. We're safe. And so because we're safe, we, we have a place of growth that we're not really just trying to survive. You know, our bodies enter into different modes. Uh, when I when I train people, like I have a class. After one of the, a particularly hard class, I make sure I do what's called down regulation. And the reason is they've done studies of people that have done really hard like exercise classes at night, and they can't get to sleep at night. They'll just be up. They're tired, but they can't get to sleep. And the reason is is because that class will stimulate something in them because they're working so hard, working so hard, working so hard. It's that that part of us that thinks we're running from a dinosaur or something. And so that gets stimulated in us, whatever part of our brain that is, and we just get going and going and going, and some people can't come down from that. And so if they don't purpose to come down from that, they're just going to be awake all night, and they're not going to be able to sleep, and they're not going to be able to get the rest that they need. Why? Because they've got to jump up to run from a dinosaur any second. And so one of the ways we combat that is to purpose at the end of something like that to breathe and to just rest and relax. To let our bodies know we're not running from dinosaurs. Let's go get a snack. That's what we want. Okay, good. You and me, we can't live our lives just surviving. Because you're just going to keep running from a dinosaur all the time. And that makes it hard to eat right. That makes it hard to sleep right. That makes it hard to rest. I mean, you think about like people that are just running from something all the time or people that are just desperate all the time. Do they take the time to make a nice meal, sit down and enjoy it? Or what happens during those times? You grab the first thing you see and you eat it. What's the easiest food to get? Donuts. Yeah. <laughs> or or whatever. I mean, you got drive-throughs, right? Yeah. Or Taco Bell. Yeah. You know, you got all these easy choices. Why? Well, because I'm running from a dinosaur. You got to stop running from the dinosaur. And so God makes it so, and part of His plan of salvation was that, all right, we come into a place in a place of relationship with Him. Let's say you pray and you ask Jesus into your life. you got that place of relationship. Well, that's a place of safety. So you've come into a relationship with Him. All right, so we're not running from dinosaurs anymore. Now we can look at life a little bit differently about growing and about becoming and about living and that more abundantly. Not just surviving. He wants to take care of us so that we don't have to just survive. And He wants to put us in a place, put us in a spot in our lives 
where we begin to trust Him more, have faith in Him more, believe Him for more. To be a people of hope. And so I suppose when it comes right down to it, we've got to stop running. We've got to stop striving. We've got to stop trying to get away from the dinosaurs and find a place of rest in Him. And so I just want to encourage you toward that tonight. Is to find a place of rest in Him. Because I really believe, I really believe that He wants to take some hope and really, and really just pour it into you tonight. He wants you to rise up as a man or a woman of hope toward the future for the big things, like things that He's going to do and changes He's going to make and joining with creation and hope, but also for the little things in your life to be hopeful for something better tomorrow and to live in that hope. You're not going to enter that hope if you're just striving. You're not going to enter that hope if you're running from the wildebeest outside the house or anything. You're not going to enter into that hope like that. You're going to enter into that hope through finding your rest in Him, finding your safety in Him, and allowing for that rest to really come over your body, over your soul, and over your spirit. Hope is born. Hope is born in you. You are meant to be created to be a person of hope. That's how God's created you. He created everything He created to, to be groaning towards something better. Because that's who He is. And so we can join in with that or not, but I encourage you to. Take a moment and pray. Just going to ask God to release some of you from some striving. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, those that are here that are just running scared tonight, just surviving, feeling like every moment is the end or close to the end or could be or whatever it is, I just pray, God, uh, that you would release your people from that. And I just ask that you would infuse us with hope. I pray rest to souls. I pray rest to spirits. I pray rest to bodies in the name of Jesus. Rest. Rest from the striving. Rest from the running. Rest from the worry. Rest from the stress. And I pray that you would lead us into a place of safety in you. Safety. Safety. Safety in Jesus. Because God, I, I ask for your hope to spring up in us. To come alive in us. To find a home in us. To find a home in our spirit, our soul find a home in our mind that we would be a people of hope marked by hope marked by an outlook that's looking forward as to something better not living in dread not living in worry not living in fear but living in hope and so God as we looked at those big three the, the faith and the hope and the love God tonight specifically we pray hope. I want more. I want more. I want to live in more. I want to see you more. I want to see what you have more. I want to experience more. I want to recognize more. I want to see you moving and mark you moving in my life more. And I pray a building of hope to ever-increasing hope in our lives as we work out our salvation. I thank you that you've raised us up. I thank you that you've created us to be a people of hope. And I just ask God that we just move into that place in our lives. In Jesus' name. So God, tonight, 
Continue to have your way in us. Continue to draw us. Continue, God, to set us free. We receive that of you. We just ask that uh, we'd be open to a change of heart and open to a change of mind. Ask it in Jesus' name. Let's be by saying amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Good to see you. We'll see you again. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.